Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Just go to harrys.com slash fool. It's Monday, June 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris L. Joining me in studio today for Molly Fool One, Bill Mann. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. It's stri- it's strategy week. Thank you. It's, Thank you. You it, were you were trying to tell me it was strategy week, and I think that's nonsense. It is strategy week here on Market Foolery, so we're going to be drilling down on a different strategy every day. And with Bill Mann in the room, we're going to talk about small caps because that's uh, I know that's been a passion of that's yours. That's my bag, baby. That's for a long time. <laughs> and this is something you you've talked about recently that this is a good time for small caps right now. Why is that? Well, uh, if you believe that the, if you believe that things come back to equilibrium, we have had a market over the last seven years, call it, in which large cap domestic stocks have beaten almost every other asset class. And if you look in the U.S., it's been large caps, then it's been mid caps, then it's been small caps, and then it's been micro caps in terms of in terms of performance. So, even though small caps had a really good year in, in 2016 and have had a good year so far in 2017, but they are relatively, there's bargains to be found in small caps that are not to be found in the largest companies in the United States. One of the things I find curious about small caps is there's no, there does not appear to be an agreed upon definition. No, of no. how like what constitutes a small cap. For some, you talk to some analysts and they're like, well, it's got to be, um, it's got to be under a billion dollars. And yeah. other people say, well, there's a range. Um, before we get to whatever is, you want my number? I, well, I you, I want to get to your your number or your range, but for, first this question. How small for you personally is too small? What is what is the market, or is there a market cap where you say, you know what, if that's the market cap, I'm not interested. This is going to be a Weasley answer. Okay, I'm just I'm I'm just going to put that out out in front. There is no limit for how small something I would be considering to buy if I see the things I like. Now, the things that I might write about. Simply because it's impossible to write to write about a company that's a twenty million dollar market cap. That you know, without lighting it on fire, like right. you just can't do it. You know, it, it's it would be wholly irresponsible to do. So for you know for for things that we might suggest for you know for 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 fools for th- you know for companies that we would cover would be substantially larger. But I've bought I've I've bought companies that were sub five million in market cap. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of your day to day work, what is the what is the range or sort of number that when you think when Someone comes up to you, or someone emails you a question, and they and they use the phrase "small cap." What number does your brain go to? So the top end of it is basically the break point between the uh, the the um, the top one thousand and then the two thousand of the Russell, and that comes out to be about thirteen billion dollars. Wow, thirteen billion? Yeah, about thirteen billion dollars. So it's so the definition of a small cap is it's it's pretty big. Uh, I mean, under their definition, S and P has a different standard, and it's much lower. Um, but yeah, so you know, when we did hidden gems, we always talked about companies that were in between two hundred million and two billion, and I think that's a pretty great. I think that's a pretty great zone to think about in terms of being small caps. Um, but really, the you know those would be more defined as micro caps. A lot of people think in terms of risk when they think about small caps. Yeah, I think that's crazy. Do you? Kind of. Why? Well, 
I just don't I I don't think that there is an argument to be had that says that if you've got a company that is a $5 billion company and a company that's a $50 billion company, that the $5 billion company is all by itself more risky, right? So what they're usually talking about is volatility. And yes, small cap companies tend to, you know, in the stock market, you've got someone who shows up to buy a million dollars worth of a $50 billion company. It doesn't even move the needle, right? It's like done. Whereas if it's, uh, you know, you know, the smaller you get, the more likely you are to, to move the needle and the more likely that the company is to be, you know, is, you know, is, uh, is going to be impacted and probably, you know, and they tend to be more volatile. I just don't happen to think that I don't happen to think that volatility is a really, really great way to, you know, to measure risk. Now, in that I'm going against almost all of the academic <laughs> research and <laughs> that has ever been made. So everyone, uh, you know, please, you know, understand that I understand that I'm saying something that's not, you know, that's not really uh, backed up by academia. I just happen to think that companies are you know, how much their stock moves is not a great measure of volatility. All right, last question about risk, and then we'll move on. Is is there a sense in your mind that when it comes to small caps, all industries are equal? Or mm. do you look at a $500 million energy company is more or less risky than a $500 million consumer products company. You know, I I, I I love that question, and... Thank you. That's all the time we have for this episode. No, because I've never really thought about it that way, but, but having never really thought about it that way, I'm going to say yes. I think, obviously, there are industries where you have to where you just take basically how much capital it costs to operate in a certain industry. In a retail industry, it doesn't take that much capital to launch. In an electric utility industry or a mining industry, it takes a huge amount of capital to launch. So yes, a $500 million retail company market cap is vastly different to me than a $500 million mining company. But I hadn't really I hadn't really thought in those terms before, but on an industry by industry basis, I'd say that is entirely true. But it has to do with how much money it costs to be able to compete. Well, get to stocks uh, in the small cap realm that you're interested in right now. But I'm curious, are there, I mean, it's you say it's a great time for small caps. Are there small caps that you're avoiding, whether it's specific companies or industries where yeah. you just think, you know what, I, as a group, I like you, but this little subsection over here, no thanks. Yeah. Former large caps. Former large caps that happen to be small caps. Right. Like and, and maybe this goes against every, you know, the value investors who are looking for the cigar butts out there. There are people who do that sort of thing. But I think with small caps, one of the really, really great things is that you're trying to find companies that have a super normal rate of growth over a super normal period of time. Right. You want to find a company that's able to make a ton of money and they're able to do it for 20 years. If you can find that, that's where the Amazons of the world come from, the pre-Amazons. But they, those don't tend to come from the JCPenney's, right? The companies that used to be massive and no longer are. I mean, I, I am, I'm very hard-pressed to name a company that was once a large cap and then became a small cap and then became a large cap again. So... I you know I just 
companies like that, they you know they they tend to go through their cycles, and the companies that are in their in their death in having their death rattles, I just kind of let them. Even if you know, even if if you do find one, you're going to make a ton of money at it. All right, before we keep going, got to say thanks to Harry's for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. I love Harry's products. I've been a customer of Harry's for years. It is quite simply the smoothest shave I have ever had. Period. And Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades, they're giving you their trial set for free. You just cover the $3 shipping. Stop messing around with whatever you're shaving with right now. You've got one face. Treat it right. Get started shaving with a free trial set that includes a razor handle, a five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. That's a $13 value for free. You just cover the shipping. So, go to harrys.com slash fool. That's harrys.com slash fool. All right, let's get to uh, a small cap or two that you like right now. What's uh, what's out there that uh, that you find compelling from an investing standpoint? So there are quite a few of them, but uh, I I think that one of my favorites right now is Spirit Airlines, uh, based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, you know, we it's a one of the deep deep discount airlines. It's one of the few airline companies. The ticker is Save S A V E. Um, it's an airline company that that that. You know, it it doesn't get great ratings from a customer perspective. You know, people you know, you show up, you have to pay for your seating, you have to pay to you know for a boarding pass, you have to pay for overhead, you know, for overhead capacity, you have to pay for your bags, which is all true. But if you if you think about it, basically what they're doing is that they're giving you a choose your own adventure list for how you would like to fly. Right. If you are someone who is able to travel very, very cheaply, and you don't really care about the middle seat. And you, you can travel around the country or throughout the spirit network because they have you know, flights overseas really, really cheaply. If you want some more of those things, you can buy them. So I'm paying less for a middle seat than I am for a window or aisle seat. Ostensibly, yes. You're paying less. You're paying less to not care. Right, like, right. <laughs> like if you if you're willing to not care, then you can fly very very cheaply on Spirit. If you care about certain things, and you get to choose what you care about, right? Like, I don't need to take anything with me. Then that's something that you can eliminate from your expenses. Or I don't care if I don't have to sit with my four year old for five hours. Then <laughs> I'll they pay, should charge extra for that. I'll pay more to not sit. <laughs> Um, uh, let's stick with airlines for a second because uh, you're a small cap investor, but you're also a value investor. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has watched Warren Buffett for the last 25 years, were you surprised that he and his team went into airlines in such a big way? A little bit. I, I, I was simply. I think that the timing was right, and you know, far be it for me to 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 question Warren Buffett on a lot of things, but. We really have gotten to a point in time with the airlines where the big ones are big enough, and there are few enough of them that there's there's an oligopoly, and it's really really hard for another company to come in and suddenly compete with United. But then you've got you've got the Southwest, you've got the Frontiers, you've got the Spirits that aren't really trying to compete with them. They're doing things like fr flying from Fargo to Cheyenne, you know, like which United's not going to do. But you know what? There are people who need to get from Char from Fargo to Cheyenne, and you know they're willing to you know to pick up those routes. And there's also people who are not who are not opposed to flying through Fargo to get to Cheyenne because they can 
do so for uh, you know one hundred and ninety nine dollars as opposed to seven hundred on United. So I wasn't that surprised when he made the decision, given what we've seen in the evolution of the airline industry. But I was still surprised. I I I was still surprised that he did go back on years worth of, you know, he used to say that uh, he would have done capitalists a favor if someone had shot down the Wright brothers. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty definitive, right? That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you got? For such a, you know, someone with just such a wonderful reputation, just sort of Warren Buffett, the avuncular, that's right. you know, grandpa. That Hold everybody... on just a second. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we. you've been to Kitty Hawk. It's it's nice. It, it is it's, nice, but it's also like I, when I went there for the first time. Uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago. I couldn't help but think of that line of Buffett. That's right. And I also thought that probably would have been pretty easy too, because you know yeah, it's, a pre- not- it's a pretty wide open space. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know it's one of those things where people just people are so emotionally attracted to flight and to airlines and you know even if it's a pretty tough experience and certainly it's a horrible experience for you know for anyone who enjoys capital appreciation um but uh yeah <laughs> um give, give me one other small cap that that you like right now yeah so there's a uh, there, there's a bank in hawaii uh it's called central pacific bank corp uh some, some it, the ticker CPF, and they're the fourth largest bank in Hawaii, uh, and run by it is a really really interesting story. It was founded in the mid '50s by a bunch of Japanese Americans who, after World War II, found that all of the large banks refused to do business with them. So that's we're gonna we're gonna form our own collective. We're gonna form our own bank, and so it was one of these banks that started with a point of view and started with a with a with a with a social construct. So they're in Hawaii. There's you know four banks that control ninety percent of the Hawaiian market. They're the fourth of them. They're growing, you know, as banks do. But Hawaii is just such an interesting market that it's it's one that other banks have tried to get into in the past and they've failed. You know, and so the Hawaiian banks, in a lot of ways, it's it, it it's like a it's like its own little country and very low cost of deposits. Uh, you know, it's a market that is you know very low very low employment. Uh, unemployment, I should say. Uh, and the really interesting thing about Hawaii is it has some of the most expensive housing in the U.S. And so they are going through basically a redevelopment, you know, specifically in Honolulu right now. A lot of really rational building is going on, and you know, Central Pacific Bank Corps is is benefiting. I'm sure that you have a list of stocks that you keep that are, you know, whether it's a watch list or whatever mm-hmm. you call it. I'm curious what. Gets you, what pushes a small cap for you off of whatever watch list you have into a okay? This is now something I want to be a part of. Is it the thesis that you've laid out for that company and that has come to fruition? Is it just, uh, or is it ever a case? Because I know this is the case for some investors, mm-hmm. where they they do think about small caps in terms of risk and they they. Put something on a watch list, and they think, "I just want to see it get a little bit bigger." I, I, it doesn't have to be a full-blown mid-cap, but it, I want to see it. Yeah, I'll sleep better if I know it's over a billion dollars or over two billion. So, is it is it the thesis playing out, or is it ever uh, dealing with the size? 
No, never dealing with the size, but I'll basically come up with a, almost all of my process is qualitative. You know, I, I'm looking for companies where I believe that, you know, the and, and really, I think a really important thing to understand about about small caps is the smaller the company is, the more a bet that you're paying on you know, that you're making on the management of it. And there's there's nothing in the balance sheet where that's going to show up. Right. So. In a lot of cases, I'm you know I, I I do as much. And the really neat thing about small caps is a lot of times if you call up the company, even just as an individual investor, you'll get the CEO on the phone. I mean, they're happy to hear from you. There are thousands of companies that you know that that very rarely get any type of investor interest. So they'll talk to you, and you can ask them what's important to them. You can you know you're just trying to figure out how fanatical they are about their business and. Um, yeah, so I do a lot of quantitative, a lot of qualitative work, and I'm really trying to find companies that I think are going to be able to grow for a long period of time. And then, the reason that they're going to get pushed off of that list really just has to do with you know some you know some some hurdle rate of you know of of what the valuation is, and it could happen very quickly. Or there's companies that have been you know that I've had for a long, long time on watch lists that have never come into that range for me, and. Sometimes that's not worked out very well. You know, the, the they they they've not gotten into that range because the stock has taken off, and that happens. Bill Mann, thanks for being here. Thanks so much. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Steve Broido. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>